Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me as always, <laughs> my co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. <laughs> Is that a Harry Potter wand that you're smoking there? Avada <laughs> I love it. Dual purpose. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, you look like you... I don't know. I don't know. You look You look like... Look like I just solved a murder mystery, eh? You look like somebody from that movie Tin Cup, that golf movie. I think they wear hats like that. Or wasn't there... There was a golf movie with Shia LaBeouf. Oh, uh, yes. I love that you mentioned that. I actually stood in line for hours to become an extra for that film. Really? And then after... I did, me and my mom. And after hours of waiting in the extra line, they said, we're looking for Italian-Americans, Cameron. I do not look a whit yeah. like an Italian-American. Not even a little bit. That movie didn't do very well. It had him and a boy from Home Improvement. That's true. I have seen it, though. So there's that. And I think he wears a hat like that in in that movie. Um, the entire run of it. Yes, they were trying to capitalize <laughs> lots of stuff like The Legend of Bagger Vance. Bagger Vance, little, yes. They all tried to do it right then. There was a hot, hot topic. Yes, well, you look like you could be an extra now in that movie, Kirk. So it's it's a shame they they don't know what they're missing. Big I mistake, huge. Could have been my claim to fame. It could have been, could have been, but alas, uh, Kirk, I believe you're in this getup in honor of the movie that we're reviewing. Otherwise, this is just what you wore to work. Which which one is it? Well, <laughs> I wish it was the latter, but it is the former. Yeah. I know. You you can still wear it to work tomorrow. That door is not closed. But the reason Kirk is watch is wearing this is because we watched and are reviewing a film today that takes place in the in beautiful England. And uh, that film is Enola Holmes two, the sequel. Um, this is exciting, Kirk, because we don't we our, our podcast is still young in years. And uh, even though it feels, I mean, we 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 have over two hundred episodes, and you know, we're amazing podcasters, very experienced now. No doubt, not to no brag, doubt. but uh, our podcast is still just a baby, and so it's not often that we get to review a film in which we have also reviewed its predecessor, its its original. So we reviewed Enola Holmes back when it came out, uh, whenever that was, twenty twenty. I think 2019 perhaps. And now we're getting the chance to review the sequel. This is also rare Kirk because Netflix original films have not been around for that long. And this is really, unless you count like the kissing booth, I guess this is really the first (sighs) series to take a step into franchise dumb out of all of their original movies. So, you know, eventually we'll get extraction two. we'll get the old guard too. We'll get, things like that. But, um, and Ola Holmes too is, is the first of many to come, I believe. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I think mostly for us, I don't think it's very impressive for the <laughs> franchise. <laughs> uh, I did not I, think I that's all, where you were going with that. <laughs> I respect I give it. all the kudos to us. And also I wonder if this was someone's first episode, they were tuning into, they might wonder Where'd that British guy go to? Huh? Where'd he go? Like I know, because that, that accent was so convincing. And if they're if they're not watching on the stream, it's Yeah. 
they're really they're gonna think you know how sometimes you listen to a podcast and you think there's only two people but there's actually like three or vice versa sometimes you think there's three people but there's actually only two uh yeah. they're gonna have that going on so yeah there you go uh um, good luck to all of our listeners <laughs> yeah good luck figuring cracking that code sherlock <laughs> but we are going to be reviewing enola holmes I want to say at the outset, because it's always a bit of a coin flip these days, this is a Netflix movie. Everybody has Netflix or has access to it for now until they start killing all of us uh, for password sharing, which that's what I'm anticipating, like firing squads, uh, (laughs) public shaming, stonings. That's kind of how I feel it's going to go down with the password sharing. But Ripping us out of our homes (laughs) as we're trying to enjoy their right. <laughs> their material or just like drone strikes as soon as you log in from a different ip address um, it's taking a dark turn but <laughs> since most of us have access to netflix now i want to say that we're going to do this spoiler full not spoiler free this we will be talking spoilers there are things to be spoiled in this film um now that it's a sequel there are things that are relevant to the franchise that you may hear in this review that you would otherwise not want to hear perhaps if you uh, have not seen the movie. So watch the movie on Netflix or just say whatever, screw it. I don't care about spoilers and then listen to the episode. So that was your out without further ado. Let's get into this review. Kirk. Um, It is my turn to snops. This movie should be an adventure uh, because this movie is a, it's a mystery. And so (laughs) I, have to try I, I will try to stay away from the intermachinations of the actual mystery itself and hold i will on, just hold on the intermachinations that's right spell that please i cannot i <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's machinations mac well you know like mechanics mac googling it right a now. british native have never heard of this beautiful uh, compound word, and I'd like to know the definition immediately Check it out. before we move machination. on. Machination, M-A-C-H-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Machination. It's a pl- it's a noun, and it means a plot or scheme. So I used wow. it. Wow, used it correctly there. Um, I have never heard this. <laughs> well, there I you go. love that word, and that proves why you have the master's degree, and I do not. <laughs> no, on. I think I honestly learned that word from SpongeBob. Um, if I'm being fully honest, I think I, I'm, I'm dead serious about that too, because there is an, there's an episode where, um, Patrick says the intermachinations of my mind or the intermachinations of my mind are an enigma. Um, wow. and I think that's where I learned that word anyway. Incredible. Nonetheless, I will stay away from the, the machinations happening in this movie and stick to just the meat and potatoes. So as not to tongue tie myself on this synopsis. Um, and that is to say that Enola Holmes two picks up right where its predecessor left off. Enola Holmes is fresh off of the Tewksbury case and is riding high or so she thought she tries to go out on her own, start her own independent private detective agency, just like her brother, um, Henry Cavill, Sherlock Holmes, who has been widely successful doing the same thing unfortunately people think she's too young and too inexperienced to take on any cases so she falls on hard times before a case basically falls into her lap um, because a a younger underage girl has no other choice because she's got no money and she is missing her sister sarah chapman Um, bessie reaches out to nola holmes for help and having no other choice she takes it pro bono 
to try to find this person. Uh, she ends up finding out that uh, Sarah Chapman is, you know, a part of a larger scheme. Oh, shocking. I know, right? Who could have ever guessed? It's not just a simple missing person. It's not a kidnapping. It's not a murder or anything like that. But there is a larger scheme that involves the, the uh, you know, the British government, at least the local London government, I suppose, and as well as a, a match factory. And it ties into a case that Sherlock Holmes is working on. So we get to see Henry Cavill and Millie Bobby Brown in action, working together to crack a case, which is different from uh, the first film in, in some ways. And this film also features the return of Helena Bottom Carter as, uh, what's her name, Eudora or Eudoria or something like that? That's her. Eudoria. Eudoria. So uh, that's Enola Holmes' mother. And uh, our guy, Lord Tewksbury, or, or Viscount Tewksbury, I think his name might be now. Um, so lots of returning characters, pretty straightforward plot, but as you can probably guess, a mystery with many, many twists and turns. This thing's got a runtime of about uh, two hours and 10 minutes, and it's it's all gas, no brakes during that time. So, Kirk, anything I missed? Or are you ready to dive into Enola Holmes 2? Let's dive in. I will be intermixing uh, my intermachinery, machinery, <laughs> Nailed it. I I will <laughs> I will be flip flopping between British and American. I make no promises <laughs> at any point what I will sound like for the rest of this episode. As such, has been for the first nine and a half. <laughs> I was going to say, how is that different from what has already <laughs> happened in this episode? But thank you for clarifying. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, in that case, I'm going to get us kicked off with our first superlative, which is always, and the Oscar goes to, which is supposed to go to who me or Kirk think is the best actor in the film. This one is a slam dunk. It's an easy one. Um, we've already reviewed the first movie. I can't remember the score that we gave it. I should probably, probably should know that heading into this, but I believe I gave this wonderful performer her flowers on that film as well. And that is Miss Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, most of you know her as Eleven in the Stranger Things series. Uh, she is blossoming into a just an awesome actor. She really always has been. <laughs> you know, she's she's been acting she's, since she was like ten or something like that. She was like, I, I saw all these old clips of like her in Modern Family and, and taking on these small roles. It's always fun to find that with actors. But I mean, just think about her in Stranger Things and the incredible work that she has done in that series and continues to do. Um, and then to see her in these films, she is unbelievably good. Uh, this, this role, she has made this role so much more like given it such a higher ceiling than I think it originally had. Um, I think, so the books are, uh, this is based on a book series. If you didn't know that a, a wildly popular, um, kind of like young adult, uh, mystery series. Um, and they're, you know, by all accounts, very charming books, and this character is very awesome, but I think it's hard to capture that same level of um, attachment that readers get with a book character in a film, especially one like this for, for outside people who are just looking at this as like, oh, this is just a female Sherlock Holmes, and really it's it's so much more than that, I think, almost certainly in the books, but also in the movies, and a huge part of that is because Millie Bobby Brown is acting her tail off in these movies. I just love what she brings to the character. Um, if you're new to the franchise and you've just seen this movie or uh, 
or whatever. Um, you just watched both of them. You'll obviously notice there's a lot of different creative tactics that they use, most notably the fact that uh, Millie Bobby Brown uh, breaks the fourth wall throughout these films, and those little bits continue to be so charming. Her her charisma is just on full display. She She's flexing all kinds of amazing nuanced acting choices, and her charm and her and her comedic instincts in this film are just off the charts. I mean, she gets funnier and funnier as the film goes on and it's not an overly comedic movie, but she's just inserting these little funny bits that kind of find their way through the movie. And she just has picked up right where she left off with the first one, which was another great performance. And she has incredibly, you you don't really see Millie Bobby Brown. Whenever you see this character, I found myself in this movie being like, she has carved out Enola Holmes and she has created this really awesome, rich character that you're just in love with because she's so fun. She's caring. Um, she, you know, is always roasting people. She's, she's an awesome fighter. Like this character has so much to it. I guarantee there are not many other actors who could pull it off to the extent that she has. And I was just floored and impressed again with her performance as this character and being able to keep, the momentum rolling from what I thought was already an awesome performance in the first film. So great job, Millie. Um, let's keep it rolling. Well, it's very easy to have her as the winner because that's also my winner. And the Oscar goes to tried to look up our scores while Cameron was talking also with one earbud in one earbud out and um, couldn't, if you go check out our 2020 episode, it's two hours long because it's a, uh, it's a combo. It's a combo episode of this nice. uh, Enola Holmes number one. And Oh, what's that Tom Holland movie with the devil? What was it called again? The, the devil, devil all, all the, the time. time. Yes, you beat me. You beat me, Cam, as you always do. I must also say Millie Bobby Brown because she does it again. It's as if the films were uh, were filmed back to back. She steps right back into the character with such ease. Um, and again, so separate, so far removed from her uh, very famous, very unique Eleven character in Stranger Things. If you were to tell me, um, you know, thirty years from now, like check back on that, they're, they're, they they look the same. Like, no, you're you're wrong. You are absolutely wrong that she was doing the same uh, different tac- the same tactics and the same efforts. They're very different, very unique characters. Um, my question is, which one is like closer to her, right? Because there's always a character in someone's. Uh, portfolio that they're closest to in personality and I do wonder which one she is closer to or if we haven't seen that color of of Miss Millie Bobby Brown before um, what I also love is the the glimpses into the future of, of Millie Bobby Brown into her acting tricks and her her continuous craft and continuous growth as an actor it's very fascinating to see like Cam said when that fourth wall breaks it's it's a glimpse into the heart of this character. And I think the benefit that a lot of young actors might have is that they've always had a camera. I know my son will grab my phone and just take hundreds and hundreds of videos and they all, they make no sense, but he's having the time of his life. And I wonder if there's a sense there uh, in this generation, Millie Baba Brown is uh, born in 2004 that they've always had the ability to, perform in front of a camera and have immediate feedback. I myself in my amateur acting career, I love to do what they'd say don't to not do. I love to 
uh, perform in front of a mirror to see what I look like and what I would look like to an audience. And people say, don't do that. You'll, you'll ruin your ability to, uh, to be creative. And I say, forget you. I do what I want, <laughs> uh, yes. which is why I am an, an incredibly acclaimed uh, local uh, actor <laughs> in this area and not on the Netflix film. Oh my gosh, this is just continuing to divulge into <laughs> self-reflection. <laughs> Regardless, Millie Bobby Brown, you and I are cut from the same cloth. I imagine I'll be in Enola Holmes 3 with you. Bravo. Congrats. Yes, I can't wait for your performance in that film. I think it'll be great, Kirk. You've already got the costume. Just show up. You'll be ready to go. This um, is my screen test, actually. This <laughs> recording yes. right here. Yeah, you're, you're going to send this off right afterwards. I love it. Um <laughs> Yeah, Millie, man. She's only 18 years old. Unbelievable. She's she's such a talent. I I just freaking love this character. I there is just something so awesome about it. It's just it's so effortlessly cool. Um and I think like it's hilarious to me that like Sherlock Holmes, you know, this character of Sherlock Holmes has been around for forever. You know, like it's like in the public domain, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's, it's classic. It's been done a zillion times. And like this character, who's not even a part of the original Holmes series is like becoming one of my favorite Sherlock Holmes <laughs> characters. I just like, I really love this character and it's because she does such a great job. So that's just awesome to see. Great work. Uh, moving over to Scene Stealer, which is, uh, you know, kind of the the smaller role or the, the unheralded role or whatever that really steals the show. Really, it could be anybody. Um, for me, I'm giving my flowers to an actor that I don't always give my flowers to, and I think it's, it's past due, and that's going to be uh, Mr. Henry Cavill, who plays Sherlock Holmes in this movie. Um, in the first movie... We don't get a ton of Sherlock Holmes. We get some. I was really glad to see that Henry Cavill's role was buff, buffed up in this movie as at the end of the first movie, he sort of takes ownership of um, Enola Holmes. You know, originally I think it's, and I haven't seen the first movie since we watched it back then, but I think originally it's like him and his brother Mycroft who are working together to kind of like make decisions for her and it starts off very bumpy and then at the end he kind of realizes that he needs to be more attentive and things like that. Anywho, so he is officially her guardian in this film. And I, and I love his arc in this movie. His character arc is so well-written in this movie. And he's making acting choices in the first act that pay off so well in the latter half of the movie. Because at first you're like, what's going on with Sherlock? Like, why is he drinking? Why does he feel like aloof? And why does he feel detached? And, and uh, like he's kind of self-reflecting or in, in, in a state of sort of, uh, I don't know, like mental health crisis. He really does come across that way. And at first you're like, is that really, you know, Sherlock is kind of an aloof guy. He's always um, kind of keeping you on his toes. He's always kind of doing his own thing. And sometimes he seems like he's not totally with it, at least historically in other interpretations of the character. But uh, so at first I thought that's what Henry Cavill was doing. And I was like, man, I feel like he's taking it a bit too far. I, I don't really feel like that interpretation works, but then the payoff comes that, you know, he is, he is having a hard time with himself. He's, he's having great professional success, but he's having a hard time finding meaning and purpose internally. And he has a need for companionship and he's guilty about the way that he's made some choices in his life. And 
you see that whole arc sort of come together and it culminates in the end whenever he's like, Hey, Enola, you know, he's kind of feeling like you really helped me out. I, I want to be better. I want to be a part of your life. Like, can we, can we see each other more often? And can I be a real influence? Can we work together homes and homes? And, uh, you know, in the post credit scene, you find that he's actually going to get uh, Dr. John Watson in what will presumably be the next movie or a spinoff or something like that, uh, moving into his flat. Um, and, and it just, it's really a nice arc. And Henry Cavill really does a beautiful job um, of articulating it. He never oversteps. He doesn't give you too much too early. He gives you little bits to nibble on and you kind of go, okay, I hope what you're doing there is intentional and it's going to pay off. And it does, um, which is, which is great to see. So Henry Cavill, great job. It's a role that's been done tons of times and he's bringing something new, fresh, understated and tasty to, uh, to Sherlock. So I, I dig it. Tasty? Did you call Cat as Superman Henry Cavill tasty? I on called all his performance tasty. Okay, let's oh. let's clarify. Okay, well I heard you call him tasty, so I'm I mean, let, that. it's Henry Cavill, Kirk. Well, I mean, let's not. <laughs> that's not too much of a stretch if we're being honest. You know, if I'm correct, you're the same height, and you could be brothers. And that's the next in, in no. And that'd be the worst thing to happen three. to me in my life. <laughs> no. I'd be like, oh, great! It's like it's like the third Hemsworth we were talking about last week no, on the pod. No, no. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Oh, All man. I'm doing is judging you by your height. Recently, <laughs> I just really want people to know they see us and we sit in our chairs, but really, you're the taller of the bunch here. It's true, by by a bit. I'm 5'2", and you're 6'9". That's <laughs> very simple. Oh, man. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I appreciate it. I'll take 6'9". I'll take that would be great. You're welcome. My scene right. stealer. Yeah, your scene stealer. Mr. Henry Cavill as well. Copycat. I get to say I'm that because I went first. Oh, man. I'm a copycatter. Look at me. I Again, it's as if they filmed this back-to-back because... It is if it was as if no time had actually passed, uh, which fits right with the story. I don't know if they were required to watch the original film like thirty times before <laughs> filming to like get that ingrained in them. Like every movement, every speech pattern, it was un. Um, oh, it was just non polluted by their other roles of many that they've taken over the past two plus years for for film production. It was just really really refreshing because sometimes you get to these sequels and films and they've hit uh, another level of stardom, which 100% each of them were already stars before this. They became even bigger stars during uh, the in-between time. And here they're back as again, as if nothing has changed and nothing has happened. I don't know if that speaks more to the production, to the writing, to their craft. And I think it's all of those combined. So um, Henry Cavill just steps into this effortlessly, effortlessly. And I have all the same notes, all the same notes as you can. So I am a copycatter. Um, I loved his story arc uh, because he is just so good. He knows that what he lays down at the front of the film uh, needs to needs to have meaning. So if they wrote me like this, they wrote me like this on purpose, and I need to do something very specific to make sure that I stay on track for this. Because, yes, was his screen time bumped up? Absolutely. But why was it bumped up? And every moment counts when you're on screen or you're on stage. So Henry Cavill, 
Oh, you're so good at what you do. I mean, we you've ruled yourself out as our next bond, which is sad. You've said, not for me, whatever. Maybe it's a lie. I don't know. But he absolutely is one of the strongest fighters and competitors in this generation of actors. And there are 100% some stinkers in his resume uh, that are to no to no fault of his own he's trying to get a paycheck he's trying to get known he's making the best steps possible and now that he's been able to prove himself and show his growth and show his study of of character and acting he has access to more important characters and what what i want most is i do want there to be an enola holmes three i think that's possible but i also do want there to be a sherlock holmes one with henry cavill uh, i think that 100 percent would be fine in the world of netflix streaming original movies uh, maybe it hits theaters too i don't know but i think you can go both routes and even have Enola show up in Sherlock's movie and have her play a big role and have him show up back in Enola three and play whatever level because he's had small and he's had a companion level assignment and he has excelled so well in both. I never ever expected him to be good in this role. And I'm so sorry for that. Uh, I ate my words when we reviewed the first one, go back and listen, but Henry Cavill, you are a masterpiece. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, I'm I'm arm in arm with you there on the spinoff route. Like, I, I I get why Enola, like why why they have to be careful balancing out Sherlock here because this is Enola's movie and Sherlock is a a massive literary icon, <laughs> so it would not be hard for him to overshadow um, Enola as just by name alone in these films, and so they they want to keep it separate. Um, but sh- good luck overshadowing Mill- Millie Bobby Brown's Enola Holmes. I'm just saying that it's just not going to happen. Um, so I think you can have, I think, you know, the businessman in me and, and, and the franchiser <laughs> mindset is you could make a whole universe out of this. Not like, not an MCU. I'm not, I'm not going to go that far. That's insanity, but you can make films later, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you can make, and you can already see it lining up a couple more of these Nola Holmes movies with a couple spinoffs about Sherlock, a couple spinoffs about whatever. And, you know, John Watson, maybe down the line and it really starts to make sense. And I think it could all work really well in conjunction with one another. I mean, can we please get another hound of the Baskervilles? Like, like, Honestly, yeah. like that would be yeah. so incredible. There, <laughs> so incredible. There are so many great Sherlock mysteries. And and honestly, I was looking at the titles of, of the Enola Holmes books. There are seven in that series, and I think it's still going. Um, I don't think any either of the movies are totally based on one of those plots from the books. I think they're all like partially new mysteries. Just I'm going based off titles, so I have no idea. But um, it's... There's just so much. There's so much material in this. And a good mystery is always a good time. It just does not matter. A good mystery story is always a fun time. Um, it just never gets old. That's why people read detective fiction. That's why Agatha Christie wrote 100 zillion books. That's why Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote tons of Sherlock Holmes mysteries. It just doesn't get old. So they could do it, man. And I would love to see it. Uh, which which plays right into my showstopper as we get into the uh, production side of, of the film and, and talk about the nuts and bolts of it. Um, 
my showstopper is quite simply continuity um, because the goal of a sequel, the only goal, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise, in my mind, a sequel is supposed to elevate the original and raise the stakes, scale up, but keep the central basis important and even make it more important than you can. And that is verbatim, like, that is how I would describe this movie. I mean, they did so many things to reference back to the original film, make the first film matter, take small bits from the first film, small character choices, characterizations, plot points, elevate them to give them new defined importance in this film. And then they scaled up. They said bigger mystery, bigger stakes. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't make it crazy. Um, they did it so gracefully. Um, and I just, I thought it was excellent. I think this is just sick sequel work. <laughs> like this is this is how you do a sequel. Um, keep your ambitions in check. Keep your uh, methods consistent. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this film just feels like a total continuation. It picks up right where you left off. Everything is enhanced. Everything feels bigger, better, more important. It makes the first film more important. Um, the characters are developing, there's new arcs, it's like, ah, yes, you know, it's it's just, it's not more of the same, it's giving you new stuff to chew on, and you just, you have to love that, as a fan of film, as a fan of franchises, whatever, like, you just have to love that, because you, you can't ask for anything more, so to have that level of continuity, a consistent creative vision that it, they don't lapse um, from, and, and that they really just keep tight, it's, it's not easy to do. So many things get lost in the sauce um, in, in the course of a film franchise, but they kept it tight. They built it out exactly, stayed true to their vision, and nailed it. So continuity for the win. I thought they did an awesome job here. Great. I'm very curious. I'm, I'm going to go listen to that episode um, sometime this week of, of Enola one, tonight. It's 11 p.m. Central right now. <laughs> Just, Plenty of time, <laughs> you know, just listen to it till two o'clock in the morning. No problem. <laughs> um, I want to know what we chose because mine today is about the music and the score Ooh, for yeah. this film. Yep. Because I mean, I'm a big Downton Abbey fan. I really do love uh, that series and I'm not a big period piece kind of guy. Um, this kind of, even, even it, the world of Enola Holmes, this, this timeline, I'm like, meh, but this, this changed me. Enola Holmes one changed me like, okay, they can do some pretty cool stuff, some pretty interesting things and keep my attention and not make me focus on the, the, the weight of the parchment paper or, or the, the fanciness of my quill versus their quill that they, they really do. They're focusing on storytelling. They're taking care of the surrounding, the production uh, in age appropriateness, but they're not letting that define them. They're telling a human story in a certain time and kind of mirroring things, right? Like, uh, like, Oh, she's a girl, so she can't be a detective or she's not as good of a detective as Sherlock as that's the, that's the, narrative that that's one of the themes that plays out and she has to continually uh continuously fight against that so 
what I love uh, about this is that even the music, even the music uh, that, you know, Downton sucked me back into this, this kind of world and this timeline, this period. And I, there's moments where I swear to you, I think that Robert and Mary and Matthew are going to come down the stairs of the giant <laughs> castle. <laughs> it's just, it's just that good. And then they, they pivot to a different note and a different key. And then all of a sudden we're running down an alley and Enola's kicking people in the face and, and climbing up fire escapes and falling in through pictures and it's really really compelling like they have they have so many exciting runs and melodies and they also have so many unique character themes like everyone really has their own assigned theme and you don't really understand it until the plot slows down a little bit to let you catch your breath and you're like wait a second this sounds familiar and then you then the next time it gets played you're like that is their specific theme well done well done it's really really quite masterfully done i don't know who did the score i'm not someone who uh gets like really focused and in the weeds on music so when i do it's a big win and i thought it was just an extravagant and and exceptional score to keep our attention uh, to the storyline, to keep the pace of the story, and to add a whole incredible dynamic, which is exactly what music should do to a movie to a movie uh, to to enhance the storytelling by by reminding you of of where the characters' uh, feelings are, whether they're feeling melancholy or whether they are in danger. And that was in step every moment of this film. Love it. You know, you know, I always love um, when you choose the music, Kirk, because that's that's something that I always listen for. I love a good score more than probably most. I, I just, music can make or break a film and people don't think that, but it's, it's true. Like a, a good score can elevate a movie into a different stratosphere. A bad score can take a good movie and make it feel flat. It's so yeah. critically important to how a film works and people don't think about it. Um, Daniel Pemberton is the composer, by the way, on this film, Kirk, and you would recognize a lot of his work because he works with, uh, Aaron Sorkin on just about everything that that guy does. Um, Trial of the Chicago Seven, Being the Ricardos, uh, most recently. So lots of good stuff in his resume, and uh, I totally agree. Great score here. Uh, really, really good job. All right, let's move over to director shoes and talk about what we would change. Um, I have one. I, I I feel like I have one. It's slightly nitpicky, and I almost understand it. Here's me qualifying it before I actually tell you what it is. And that's, uh, at times, there is a lack of trust in the audience. And when I say I think I understand that, it's because they know that the books are targeted towards young adults. And these movies are rated PG-13 and as such are also targeted towards young adults to a certain extent. And so I think there is a bit of hand-holding that goes on intentionally to make sure that nobody is getting lost on the ride. Um, and with that comes a bit of, you know, you could say unnecessary moments in the film where they have to, you know, kind of constantly remind you and take you along like, oh, remember we're referencing this, we're flashing back to this, we're flashing back to that. And I have never seen anything Sherlock-related, whether it be the popular BBC show with Benedict Cumberbatch or the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law series with Guy Ritchie. I have never seen any Sherlock Holmes media in which flashback, flashbacks are not utilized. So in no way am I saying that it shouldn't be utilized. It's just that 
there were many times where they used the flashback in an area where I thought, okay, that was pretty straightforward. You know, we're, we're tracking, um, or at least, you know, I felt like most adults would be like totally tracking with what was happening, what they were alluding to, et cetera. So at times it felt excessive, but again, it's like, I call it nitpicky because would a 14 year old be following everything tightly? Maybe not, you know? And so you do have to take that into account. I know that it's, you know, it can, it's, it's weird when you start to think about movies that way, but it's true. Like there movies are made for a certain group of people. These movies are certainly not solely targeted towards adults who enjoy lots of mystery things. That's part of their audience, but I think their core audience is, you know, young men and women who watch, you know, who want to watch a mystery that feels like an adult film and is actually, you know, for their age group. So I I give them credit for that, but I also do feel like at times it's like, okay, let's get on with it. You know, at times it takes a little bit of air out of the momentum to backtrack and look at something that we already all were kind of tracking with. So that's me as the old man, get off my lawn curmudgeon (laughs) director shoes there. But I did feel like at times it took away from moments that were well-paced and and really sharp and kind of slowed them down unnecessarily. Knit, knit, knit. (laughs) Right? Picky, picky, picky. I have more. It's my turn for the director's shoes. I would like a hat that says director's shoes that each of us put on (laughs) whenever we go through this segment (laughs) with a little tiny pair of shoes right at the end of it on the logo. I think that's necessary. Um, I think that there, I have, I have a a few more problems than, than Cam does. Um, I think there are the webs of villains don't always, they're a little forced. They're a little forced. Um, there's not a real true path to the villain because it's like, well, this guy's involved with this guy and this guy's involved with this guy and Moriarty. Oh, it's this lady who's been here the whole time. The servant lady, um, who let's be honest, her when she like has those that moment where she steps out of the darkness and those vicious eyes like well done well done to the casting yes. director because she she looked like she was about to cannibalize everyone in there like she is a a scary lady when she turns it on so bravo i i, I missed the the actor's name there but she's wonderful um that said there are all of these uh these all not even red herrings because everything kind of connected together and they weren't totally nothing, all of the clues that they picked up. But what I didn't appreciate was the four different times that Enola's like, I've got it. It's this. And then it wasn't quite that. And then she kept doing it where we know that she's sophisticated. We know that she has been trained by her mother and by the world to be aware of her surroundings and to look for things. So if she gets it wrong one time, that's fine, but don't get it so wrong every time that we just get these, these ideas, what it might be. It'd be different if it was one sequence where she's spitballing with Sherlock, like one sequence of that, but it happens so many times it diminishes her intelligence, which is the opposite thesis of this film where she's a very capable, very intelligent woman. And we don't get that. So that bothered me quite, quite a bit because that's what I enjoyed in the first one, even though she was stumbling through a few things like the mechanics of detective work, she never stumbled on uh, the intelligence of herself and her instinct. And those things kind of, uh, there was some doubt and I get it. You can, you can argue that there was, there's doubt in herself as she's officially going on her own, but 
to the extent that it went to, I just wasn't a fan. And because of that, because of how the villains were set up, the climax of this film it quite literally leads to inconsequential destruction of evidence in front of five to six different people, two of which are actual, you know, licensed or claimed detectives, both the Holmes siblings here. So why? Why is that just allowed, even though your boy is part of Scotland Yard? These other people have been allowed to be detectives and then find the truth out. Like it, that part, it felt a little Age of Ultron-ish, where we're just uh, connecting the dots towards, all right, Moriarty. Moriarty is the next big villain. We'll see her in the next film. And we've got uh, the superintendent and the and the whatever they're, they're, the McIntyre, as his title is. We'll see them soon. And Tewksbury is out here, and he's maybe mostly good, but there's a little bit of sketchiness behind him. Is there... Is, is he going to be corrupted by power or, or caught up in a scandal by accident? Like there's all these different threads. They have to lay them out so they can unravel and pull them quite literally. But it was, it was messier. This one was messier for me altogether. The first one was so succinct. And this one, it's as if they storyboarded everything and they said, we have to have uh, these six elements, make sure they're all there, make sure they all connect and make sure there's twists and turns. And when they executed those twists and turns they did so at the um at the oh what's the word i'm looking for um in a way that that negatively was it detriment the detriment thank you the detriment of enola holmes core characteristics and that's painful that was a little it was painful for me because it's a great character and really bobby brown has built it well and the writer has written her well so I'll take my director's hat off now and put on my British cap and go back to being Kirk Holmes the <laughs> third. I like I like those notes. I, I do I, I will disagree slightly in the sense that every time I felt like it was coming out of balance to the point where it was like, oh, they're making Sherlock seem like so much more capable than Enola, I felt like there were small things that she was picking up on that he missed as well so they they sort of balanced that out but i did it did definitely feel like it was teetering at points for me so i can see how you got there um yeah the moriarty thing is interesting because if you are even vaguely familiar with sherlock holmes as a character and you've watched some version of sherlock holmes anything or read anything in school or whatever like as soon as Sherlock gets on this trail where it's like, it's obvious that somebody is leading him on a chase, you know that it's Moriarty because it's the only person who's ever matched wits with him ever in the history of Sherlock Holmes. And so like that whole bit where it's like, okay, seriously, somebody is just doing this to get to Sherlock. Like that felt a little bit wonky because as soon as you start to pick up on that, you're like, okay, this is weird that this whole thing is just a series of events that's happening to draw Sherlock out of the the woodwork. And once you figure that out, you're like, oh, it's obviously Moriarty. And so like, there's a point where you go, well, this either needs to be intentional, otherwise it's outlandish and stupid. And it, it is intentional. And once you know that it's intentional, you're like, oh, it's Moriarty. And and, and so they, they spend forever like drawing that out and... Um, I actually, not to be like, I'm a super genius or anything, I called that it was that woman because 
in all of those flashbacks that they show, she's in every scene, which is a is a hack. If if you watch a lot of murder movies and they do like if you watch a lot of mysteries when they do flashbacks, always pay super attention to the flashbacks because there is probably right. a character who is the common thread in all of them, and that person is the person. So that's just that comes with watching tons of movies. But I did I did call that. Um, Bravo. Good job. I, I agree. There. A little bit of clunkiness with regard to Moriarty though. Um, ultimately I thought the payoff was, was nice. Anyway, let's get into final thoughts and scores for Enola Holmes too. I think for me still extraordinarily high on this movie. Um, I have no idea what score I gave the first one, so I can't definitively say if I liked this one better or worse, but I do know, um, like in comparison score wise, like once I give the score, I won't be able to say if I liked it better or worse, but I do know what my score is and and why my score is that. And simply it comes down to, they have built a really nice franchise very quietly. Netflix has rolled out a franchise that I am interested in. And and I'm actually excited for the sequel. I was excited for this film and it paid off in almost every single way that I could have imagined. And then some, I, I, I really, kind of expected them to to mess this up in some way. It just seemed like something that was <laughs> rife uh, for the picking and or ripe for the picking in terms of like could be riddled with all kinds of inconsistencies and continuity issues. And when they didn't do that, I was so pleasantly pleased with it. Um, so I, I have high marks for this movie. I thought the continuity was solid. As I said, I thought the scale was great. I thought they did it mostly gracefully i think there are times where um even though this movie moves really really well uh there are times where they unnecessarily impact the pace by adding in a flashback or twisting things more than it maybe needs to be twisted etc um i love the new dynamic of sherlock holmes's character i thought his arc was excellent i thought enola's arc along with tewksbury was excellent, really great character building and character work in this movie that is ultimately kind of what you come back for in a movie. Like if a movie has characters that you can connect with that have rich arcs and um, charisma and and all the things that you like, you're going to come back regardless of the other stuff. So the fact that they've got that nailed just tells me that their priorities are in the right place. Um, So kudos to the creative team. I thought this was an excellent one. I am giving it a 9.0 out of 10 kernels for Nola Holmes too. I don't know what I gave the first one. I will go back and listen. So um, I think that's higher than the first one because I, I don't know that I put the first one in the nines, but I really enjoyed this movie and I'm stoked for number three and which will almost certainly happen. And hopefully the uh, spinoffs. Holy crumpets. That's a high score. <laughs> Kirk's, Kirk's floored by that. Uh Oh, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> My score, my turn. I I did enjoy this movie. I really enjoyed the first one significantly more. That's clear. Uh, I think that's clear in my tone and my notes. Um, but this is also a movie that doesn't ruin the franchise for me when Enola Holmes 3 comes out, when Sherlock Holmes hopefully comes out. I will be first in line to see that as well. What I what I don't like is more uh, about the the full, you know, uh, attempt. <laughs> the full path is that you can't do it on your own. Have a teammate. We have done that 
ad nauseum this year and last year, I feel like with, with Hollywood in general. So it's that in general is a little less interesting, right? Like, yes, we need each other. Yes, we need to um, build camaraderie. Like it's a good cultural message in such a divisive time and and where people say, do it on your own. Like, no, don't use your skills and someone else's and build something together. Absolutely. But does that play over and over and over again? No, it doesn't because you can spot it from a, a mile away and it's it's a little frustrating. Um also, I really thought that they gave Tewksbury the Hans treatment from Frozen here. I didn't know if I could fully trust him if they've totally like gave him like, again, I still don't trust him. I said just a moment ago, where is he going to have a, other ulterior motives or other like power corruption? Like, I don't want to get fooled by that relationship because it is a very loving, uh, very seemingly very genuine uh, love for one another. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to watch that closely and carefully. So those are those and everything I said are the problems I have with this, but the characters, the character development and the work was so exquisite that I would absolutely come back and watch this again, show this to someone and say, well, you got to watch Enola Holmes too now because you watched the first one. The first one's so good. The second one's great too. It's not as high. I think I was in the nines on my first one. This one today, Enola Holmes 2, gets a 7.2 out of 10 kernels for me. That's a good score. That's, 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 I, I didn't know how low you were going to scoop there. And, uh, I'm, I'm relieved because I, okay. I didn't, I didn't want to have a fist fight or something, um, over this movie. So I feel, I feel like that's a good score. I think 7.2 is very respectable. You avoid the first punch. <laughs> that's right. And you land the second one. That's paraphrased. <laughs> I have no idea, uh, what that line yeah. is. Yeah. No, that's a good score. So like, yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, we've both stated our cases. You guys can decide which one you agree with, or maybe you hated the movie and you agree with neither, which is fine too. I'm like so, so eager. I've been like frantically searching our Facebook to see if we posted our scores because we used to do that. Um, we should start doing that again so that people yes. can see if they don't have time to see the episode. Um, but I, I, I'm dying to hear what we gave it and how big of a turn it is. I, I think... It's so funny too because so much can go into as as much as you and I both try so hard to clear our mind of expectations heading into a movie, it's just impossible. And I I always find myself that it has a little bit of an impact. Like I always go into a sequel thinking it's gonna suck, and when it doesn't, I'm always like, "Hey, good stuff." But no, I re I really did think that technically and, and from a story perspective, it's good. But I also I, I like I like all the points you raised. I think they're all valid and and good. But the one thing I did text you right away that I think we're in agreement on, uh, there's an after credit scene with this movie and, uh, it introduces Himesh Patel as Dr. John Watson. I love that casting. Yeah, it's good. I think it will work really well. I think he, he's, you know, he was in that really weird movie yesterday, uh, yesterday. <laughs> that we reviewed on the podcast and that movie sucked, but, he he has he has done other roles that I just think he's really really talented, and I think his demeanor, and he's he's not somebody that I would have immediately thought of for John Watson in terms of based on his other performances. But once I saw him, I was like, "Hey, this could really work." So that made me even more excited because I like it when casting directors surprise me and show show me something, and I'm like, 
I, I think for a second, I'm like, wait, this could be good because then it shows that like they're really capable and, and thinking a lot smarter and deeper than I am, which is good. Um, so I really like that. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. Really, really cool. So do you think the next move is a Nola Holmes three or do you think next week they announce a spinoff? Because you know, Netflix kind of does this where like, I think Enola Holmes two was announced like just a couple weeks after the first one. And they did the same thing with extraction two and the old guard. Like, I feel like we're going to get an announcement soon on a sequel or a spinoff. Yeah. I think Sherlock comes first. Yeah. I think Sherlock comes first followed immediately by Enola Holmes three. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is some sort of major connection, you know, maybe finally yes. Netflix would give us a, uh, a cliffhanger if you will, right. or, Maybe they're they're released like two weeks apart, something like that, and they they intertwine with each other. That'd be really cool. Uh, that'd be the next step, right? You have you have Enola's case. Now you had Enola and Sherlock's case. Well, now you can spread it out a little more, but then still have them intertwine, which yeah. would be really cool. Yeah, I mean, so many possibilities, man. I, I I'm excited about the possibilities. I feel like, hey, man, Netflix. I didn't know you had it in you, but you you you've maybe created an original film franchise that's legitimately worth watching and and i i tip my hat to you on that one for real kirk will literally tip his hat i won't because i'm wearing mine backwards and you'd see my hair like a cockatoo like um (laughs) (laughs) so i'll spare you that but thank you guys so much for listening to our review of enola holmes 2 stay tuned next week we're going to be reviewing a big one an absolute whopper in black panther wakanda forever um holy smokes has there ever been a more anticipated sequel i do not know i mean maybe the empire strikes back obviously i'm sure there have been but i'm just saying this is the culmination of phase four of marvel it's a massive film um one with so many plot lines attached to it both in in real life tragically um very sadly and also within the film universe so there's going to be a lot to chew on there we can't wait for it um, and to discuss it or we're, we're going to discuss it and discuss it and discuss it. So be sure to be there for that. Thank you for being here for this. We love you for that. And uh, we'll leave you with a uh, special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, as well as his band rhetoric, who is playing the wonderful music you are hearing now. Listen to them anywhere you listen to music and we will see you next week for our review of black Panther Wakanda forever. Talk to you then. <laughs>